Welcome to Doctorate, the podcast of PhD candidates in the humanities and the social sciences at the University of Vienna. This is the place for communication and discussion about issues surrounding us in the world of science. We address the what's, why's and how's of our work and invite researchers from different disciplines to explore topics and ideas they and we deeply care about. to the eighth episode of Doctorate. This time, we're going to do something a little different. Today, we're doing a special episode like we already did in episode four at the end of the last semester. We're doing a showcase of what the researchers here at the doctoral schools of Vienna are interested in. I'm going to host an expert interview with two research colleagues and fellows from the Vienna Doctoral School of Social Sciences. Daniela Paredes Grichalva, welcome. Thank you. Hi. And Marcella Torres Heredia. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Daniela is working at the Institute of Social Anthropology and is a fellow of the Austrian Academy of Sciences. Marcella is working at the Department of Social and Cultural Anthropology at the University of Vienna. Both are rooted in the Latin American region and applying postcolonial and decolonial approaches in their research. So maybe, Daniela, we start with you. Could you maybe introduce yourself and your projects to our listeners? Thank you, Angelina, for hosting us today and for this very important topic. Um, yeah, my name is Daniela Paredes Grijalva. I'm working on a PhD project about environment and migration. I'm looking at how human relationships to the environment across history have brought us to where we are now and try to speculate a little bit about the future. You may have heard headlines of climate refugees. So I'm investigating uh, with a case study in Indonesia. How do people relate uh, to the environment in case of uh, disasters, climate change? Are they moving? Are they not? How are these complex decisions taken? And what are the historical legacies that influence, uh, the, that shape these relations? Thank you very much. Um, we will come back to this project in a bit. Now to you, Marcella, would you maybe describe your project in a few sentences? Yes, um, I am working in Colombia in a region named Cauca. And the region is very particular because you find there a lot of different groups. So indigenous groups, Afro-Colombian and small farmers groups. I am working especially with uh, women and feminist side bodies or persons who are working with care activities outside or in rural areas. And my topic is about the knowledge systems they apply, how they include different kind of knowledge systems, the traditional ones of the communities, but new ones that are used, especially related with new technologies or how to relate uh, to the environment. So how they mix these kind of different knowledge perspectives and how they develop this um, relation to, to human beings and non-human beings. Thank you very much, both of you. I'm already very interested in diving deeper into your projects. But before that, maybe we could talk about decolonization, process of decolonization and how it is maybe, you know, how do you think about it? Maybe, Marcella, you could say something about this? 
Yes. Um, thank you so much for choosing this topic for this podcast. I, I think it's an important topic to be um, to be talk about in, in the in the academy. And when we talk about the, colonia the coloniality or post-coloniality, one of the first elements we have to take in consideration is the differentiation between coloniality and colonialism. Colonialism is the historical former process um, that uh, it's related to political domination, direct political domination from uh, colonial powers, especially in Europe or from Europe. Uh, but when we talk about coloniality, we are talking about the heritage. After independence uh, movements, uh, there are certain consequences that are still active or present in the societies with colonial experience. And we see that in the logic uh, in the state uh, of the state institutions, the universities, the static, the relation with space, with time, uh, how the priorities for the construction of society are considered and the way how the people relate with non-human beings, for example. Thank you very much for this um, beautifully described way of thinking about decolonization. And I think that this term, we talked about it, this term has been used in so many different contexts and a lot of people don't really know um, what we mean or what is actually transported with this term. Um, so, for example, coming from art history, um, a debate that you can follow on the media is decolonizing museums, for example. I would be interested in how your approach from um, a social anthropology approach um, looks like and how you really incorporate this into your research. Before maybe we go deeper into your research, maybe we should um, come back to the question how we would like to talk about decolonization and process of decolonizing. Maybe Daniela, do you have some thoughts on that? Thank you, Angelina. Yes, I absolutely agree with this clarification, very important clarification that Marcela has just stated uh, when we talk about decolonizing or a decolonial lens or approach. We're not talking about colonialism. We're talking about coloniality and how they these structures are still visible, invisible in our minds, in our institutions, in our assumptions and our biases. And when we have a black professor in front of us or a white professor in front of us, how do we unconsciously or very consciously take them uh, as serious scholars in different ways? Um, so I agree with you, too. We're not going to it's, decolonizing academia is not a box we will be able to tick in our lifetimes. Um, but what we would like, forgive me, Marcel, if I take the we, I think what we would like, uh, the invitation that we would like to make is for a constant, like a permanent revision of how we do science, but not only science, right? Because power and power inequalities permeate throughout all levels and uh, spheres of society. So in academia, these are, for instance, in how we recruit professors, uh, researchers, students. Um, Marcela can maybe say a little bit more about publishing. It's also in who's in the curriculum, who do we cite, 
who who's the first person we cite, who are the so-called uh, fathers, right? And in, in anthropology, as many sciences, it's in its founding year dominated by white men continue to be the main readings uh, that we use to train the future generation of anthropologists to go, to go about and deconstruct um, stereotypes. So... Are we really taking this decolonial perspective if we're still reading the same, you know, major names in anthropology? I don't think so. There's so much more out there. It's 2023. It's not, you know, the 1950s. Thank you. You're making very important points here. And I also think that transparency um, is very much needed in order to really get to these kind of, you know, decolonized systems, because it's the system that we need to recognize it as a, yeah, as a very backward thinking one. And we need to be more inclusive and incorporate people from different kind of um, social stratas and make them visible because As you have before beautifully said, people have a voice. We we just need to give them the stage they deserve. Um, so maybe, um, Marcella, you could talk a little bit um, about the publishing process. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, that's a, an, a kind of topic I, I was engaged um, for a couple of years, uh, thinking about publishing a system as a way who, uh, to reproduce power relations in the academia. So uh, we have a different elements in the publishing system that are not so accessible for everyone. Um, the way how you can uh, be published in a high-ranked journal, the language you have to use to be published, the topics you have to uh, research actually to be published are uh, determined by certain institutions who are mostly private institutions and uh, are the cost of, of this publication system is also very high. That leads that uh, a lot of researchers, especially from Global South, uh, where the institu- institutions are not so uh, well fa- financed, for example, or uh, certain researchers don't have the resources, the financial resources to uh, pay a translation, to pay the fees for the publication, are not visible in the academy. And uh, what we see See, uh, with this kind of mechanism is the reproduction of power, is the reproduction of certain knowledge production centers uh, that are not really open for, for uh, researchers dealing with other kind of topics or uh, talking in other languages. Absolutely, yeah. This is um, very important to highlight, um, to really see academia as a system of power um, that also works in a certain way, unfortunately. And we still have to dismantle, recognize, unlearn and learn and also use our responsibility, I guess, as young researchers to also educate newer generations. And I 
for example, try to kind of use my teaching obligations to question the students um, in certain ways and try to make them see the structures behind a certain perspective as well. Um, yes, uh, what when we talk about coloniality and we talk about uh, the existence of a unique uh, way of thinking, um, I think we have to point out certain elements of one unique way of thinking. The first one is that you can um, make one unique way of thinking voluntary uh, or, or it's not apply or it's not assumed voluntary. You in, It involves a lot of violent processes of um, imposition of certain logics. And these violential processes are symbolic, material, uh, and one of the elements of the colonial system is to make also visible co-violence is applied to uh, make this this kind of system one one thing of thinking, um, one way of thinking um, hegemonical. And the, the this violence uh, and the way of invisibilization um, is important to be aware about that and to think how we reproduce that in our daily practices. So for me, for example, the colonization, it's one of the ideas that imply the colonization as to make visible the violent forms of applying this system that we are applying in a, in different ways in different uh, way we act or and we talk about things and the other thing that i think it's important to talk about uh, or when we talk about decoloniality is that it's an option it's not a regulative canon that you have to follow and if you follow these steps you can be decolonial or you can reach a level of decolonial um Uh, plenty without having question. I think that's not really possible. Uh, what when we talk about decoloniality is to to have an attitude, an attitude of self-critical perspective, how you are or your institution reproduce uh, power relations, and that um, is a perspective that is a never-ending perspective. You be, you have to be aware all the time how you do that. Um, and that's uh, an open and use your privileges or your possibilities to try to open uh, spaces for uh, different voices, diversity, to create um, ways how monocultural or, or this unique uh, form of thinking could be open and challenged. Thank you. So it's not only a way of thinking, but especially also a way of acting. Would you like to add something to that, Daniela? Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Marcela. Um, absolutely. It's a way of, of thinking and acting. It's important to make these violent processes, past and ongoing ones and potential future ones, uh, visible. What I also wanted to add is that... Um, Marcela was telling us about uh, publications, publication systems, and how it's inaccessible. That's one really important factor. Another one uh, related to what you just said, this idea that there is one way to understand the world and it's 
through reason and logic um, is a bit arrogant, right? Because it's a, it's, a, it's a big world with millions of people, different kinds of uh, languages, cultures, logics of understanding the world. Uh, one of the places where, uh, where I'm based and is, is also home to me is the Global D Center. And there we speak of a Southern attitude. So trying to, this, 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 it's this attitude again, is what you were saying, Marcella, if, if I understood correctly. It's a constant attitude of, you know, what we took for granted, learning from Anglo-Eurocentric perspective may not be the whole story. There's a whole world out there. Other scholars are also inviting us to think not only of the universe, but of the pluriverse, right? There's more to it than what was the main narrative. There's a lot more to explore. And I, you know, I mentioned arrogance. I think a key um, trait maybe of people that want to go into this process is uh, humility. You know, be prepared that what you thought you knew, may you be, you know, a bachelor student, a PhD researcher, a tenured professor with 30 years of experience. If you allow yourself the possibility that there is stuff out there that you don't know, ways of looking at the world of people that you couldn't know just because, you know, we're humans, we're, we're not perfect, we don't know it all. That might be, I think, one guiding principle or trait to keep on going, keep on doing this decolonizing bit by bit, person by person. I did want to add something that I, I hear often in institutions um, is, you know, well, it's our department is super woke and we're doing this. We know about it, but it's the central office. They're, you know, they're not letting us do things. It's the bureaucracy. It's the, it's the funding. It's, I don't know, like the Austrian government standards for this and this. We can't change that. Yes and no. Systems and institutions are created by people. Therefore, the possibility to transform them is given, and it's in the hands of people, bit by bit. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Marcella, would you like to add something? Yes, um, I um, would like to address maybe a central problem, central problem of this um, one way of thinking with a certain arrogant uh, position. And that's um, in terms of the multiple crises we are facing right now as a humanity, when we don't open the place for other kind of knowledges, uh, we are losing the possibility to see, uh, the un to understand the problems and to maybe think other ways to face this kind of crisis. So I think that's uh, also an important perspective right now in a moment when humanity is looking for other perspectives to, to think about environmental relationships and other kind of uh, phenomena that are affecting us as a humanity, as a, as a whole, uh, that we have to be open to other perspectives that could maybe offer us more uh, or interesting alternative uh, to understand and to act. Thank you. Yes. So it's very important, in, in especially in these times of uh, crisis, um, that we come back to indigenous knowledge um, or other forms of knowledge, which has not been, you know, centered as knowledge at all. 
Um, so yeah, this process of um, unlearning and recognizing those kind of power structures can also be very difficult and hard. And, you know, you confront yourself with the past, a, a past legacy, um, the dark side kind of, which still lives on today, but we really need to tackle and make visible. Daniela, would you like to um, respond to Marcella's talk? Yeah, absolutely. Um I like that uh, widening take, right? If we would, um, if we would look for more ways of understanding the world, there may be more out there to help us not only understand, but maybe even try to find uh, responses to these uh, multiple crises. So there's that like advantage, let's say, of just uh, mathematically. If you take one perspective versus if you take several, you're going to have much more results. I just wanted to add also that the, that's one wonderful reason to do it, right? And another one is also the right to be different, the right to have your ontology, your way of being and of knowing in the world, the logic with which you relate to your spirituality, to the environment in the present, right? I'm not romanticizing something millions or thousands of years in the past, right? This is happening today as well. And there's a right uh, a right for that kind of knowledge, for the, those kinds of voices to be taken seriously as voices, as experts, as knowledge. Why do we differentiate in anthropology, for instance, science versus folklore or art versus handcrafts? Where do we draw the line? Who are we leaving out? Who are we, you know, enabling access to material and symbolic power and who are we depriving of it? Absolutely. And I think also terminology plays its role within this problem. So um, now I would like to come to your research projects and how you incorporate approaches that could be, be more inclusive or also, um, yeah, research practices that are more thought in a decolonial way. Um, yes, um, I try to include the colonial perspective in two different areas. The first one is the shoes of the topic. Um, my research topic is the knowledge forms, the knowledge production. I recognize that the people with them I am working with, uh, the, my research partners, they are knowledge producers. And I am trying to find out a little bit more how they uh, are using the or are acting uh, in a different ways with this knowledge they have from different perspectives. That is not uh, a romanticized perspective of knowledge just as indigenous knowledge. And they just are indigenous in their practices. But they are also including a lot of knowledge systems. And I am dealing with this question how to include different knowledge systems on how people do that in different contexts. The other perspective, a colonial one, could be also the decentering or uh, trying to not use this differentiation between culture and nature as two separate uh, perspectives. So I try to involve with my research partners, which uh, are also very engaged with, with non-human beings, to try to think more relational and, and try to uh, understand how this knowledge perspective are not just cultural, are 
also involved with other kind of influences which could come from uh, non-human beings. Um, and the second aspect that I try to involve with, uh, with the colonial perspective is the methodology. So I am using um, audiovisual methods combined with, with walks. So I am working with my research partners and what we do is actually uh, go for a walk in the environment they know. And when we do that and I record that, uh, they are, they became aware about a lot of aspects that I actually, they and I probably don't, uh, would be so aware in a, a close setting. Uh, and this perspective allows also a, a kind of relational perspective from uh, or in relation with other elements of the of the uh, surrounding environment. The other element is um, this uh, that the audio- audiovisual perspective allow me or, or that's one of the goal um, to to spread these results or this perspective in a more uh, wide way. So I am try to use other elements that are not just the reading form or the papers form to present elements, but also audiovisual elements. And this audiovisual contain also the faces, the words, the way how the people express themselves. And it's the center in the perspective from research or from knowledge production from the researcher to the research partners. That's the next strategy that I'm trying to apply in my uh, dissertation project. Thank you. This is a very interesting strategy so that your research partners really become the experts and leading the way, so to say. Exactly. This is beautiful. Daniela, how does it uh, look like in your research project? What are the colonizing um, processes that you kind of incorporate? Thank you, Angelina. Yes, Marcela, that sounds so exciting. Going for walks. Uh, I do that a little bit too, uh, going for walks and recording them, going through the jungle and recording what, what do we see, what do we hear, what do we not see, what people want to talk about or feel. Um, the traces, right? In the jungle, you have some, you often don't see big animals, but you see their footprints or you see the, the, their traces. But something that I try to do is, again, keep the Southern attitude uh, as often as possible and question my own assumptions of what could happen, what is the reasonable, logical, and I'm using air quotes, a logical explanation for this. Um, I, I do research in an area, I do research in Indonesia, and I I went specifically to an area that suffered a very strong earthquake, terrible disaster, and people interpret the disaster, the reasons why and and how people were saved or not in many different ways. But something that I also like to do is recognize the experts in the field as experts and co-authoring pieces with them, not as, you know, my interview partner X, but expert on this topic that I had the privilege to talk to and learn from and work with and write something together uh, and sharing the privileges that I may have now in Vienna, right? Maybe I have access to some journals or to some magazines and I can help and support, uh, have different people also raising their perspectives through that. 
thank you. This is a very beautiful way of collaborating with um, the communities and the people that actually really carry the research, right? Um, that are so important um, perspectives that come to the forth through those interactions. Yeah. Can I um, add? Yeah, sure. I think anthropology has been asking itself for such a long time, and not just anthropologists, but perhaps anybody that's conducting uh, social research, ethical questions, right? Of what can we even, what is even an ethical research topic and how do we go about it ethically in the field? There's a there's a sticky, tricky question of how do we compensate people for their time? Do we have the funding to pay them for sitting an hour or two or walking three hours with us through the jungle? Or what other ways? So in the limited budget of a PhD student, I find having honest conversations with people about my possibilities, their needs, and trying to find, you know, uh, some sort of bartering system, right? What can I do for you? You're doing, because I know people that are taking time to share with me their perspective, their knowledge, they're giving me something that I can capitalize on for my PhD, right? So what can I offer them? Right. And in some cases, it's uh, it translates into concrete things that I can do for them. In other cases, it translates into things that we can do as a as a as a larger group, as a community. In one case, we found that maps were not good enough for the kind of stories and discussions we were having where mythical creatures and different uh, different time frames, past, present, and future were coming present. They were not visible in the maps that we were using to discuss. So uh, together with a artist collective, we decided to paint our own map and bring in all of these stories. And you know what? The map by the government doesn't have this, but it's important for us. The mangrove that is now cut we want it on the map because it's important, right? And so also giving this possibility to materialize. I, I, this is a piece of cloth that we exhibited in several places, and it's it's knowledge. It's a map. Thank you. This is a very beautiful um, insight into your research. Uh, Marcella, would you like to add something? Yes, reacting to what uh, Daniela is talking about, uh, I want to highlight one word you said, and only negotiation. And I think the coloniality and research processes and a per are a permanently way or or process of negotiation. We have to negotiate with our research partners, with our institutions in order what uh, what we are doing could be useful for this uh, perspective of uh, gain a title or to be official certificate as a, a doctor uh, person. No? Uh, so this negotiation, uh, what is important to take in account when we talk about negotiation with a decolonial perspective is to be respectful to the people with them we are working to don't try to gain advantage all the time from them but be uh, fair with the things we are you offer to them and the possibilities use the possibilities you have to maybe contribute in a certain way to the daily necessities they have and that is the topic about engagement in anthropology and other social science are 
are dealing with this question for a long time, how to engage with the people we are working on and how to negotiate with them in a respectful way. Thank you. Yeah, that's is very important. You both are highlighting the fact um, that it's so necessary to really incorporate the people involved them, but also ask them how they want to be involved and what you can kind of, you know, exchange. Um, and because you said materialized before and um, you brought an object, Daniela, could you maybe um, describe this object to our audience and um, why did you why did you bring it? Yeah, thank you. So I brought a, a little woven basket. Maybe you can fit your water bottle in it so you have an idea of the size. Uh, it has like little strings so you can also use it as a, as, a, as a backpack or you can carry it on the front. I brought an empty basket uh, because I think it helps me to remember that there's much I can carry, but there's so much more that I still don't, don't know, don't have. And, you know, a basket is something you can sometimes need to empty out and fill it in with new things or you can rearrange. So it's a bit of an inspiration of also, you know, for our, for our research projects. You write a proposal and you have steps and, and timelines and then life happens, pandemics happen. And all sorts of things happen and we have to rearrange and uh, be ready to to fill this basket with new things that we may find along the way. Thank you. What a beautiful metaphor. Marcella, you also brought something. Would you like to describe it to the audience? Yes, I brought a coca tea. And the reason why they take a coca tea is because... We are, I am research, I am, I come from Colombia and I am researching on Colombia. And um, Colombia is very famous also because this topic of drugs and drugs traffic. But coca, uh, as uh, probably many of you know, is not necessarily a drug. It's a leaf with uh, traditional uses and a certain uh, knowledge practices linked to them. And I tried this uh, to to understand also in my research because it's important. This region is uh, uh, an important. Um, you you find there an important production of co coca leaves, and you find a lot of debates around these coca leaves. The, the official, the hegemonical perspective would say that coca it's a bad product, it's a, had bad implications, and the traditional uses and practices linked to the coca. So you find in this object uh, itself a lot of debates, a lot of uh, discussions, and that remind me that one piece of, uh, of uh, or in this case, one leaf can um, contain a lot of uh, contested ideas that we have to uh, try to, to describe how all these ideas uh, can be, can find a way to be in, in a diverse society. Beautiful. I like both of your objects very much and I'm I keep learning and seeing new perspectives that you um, open through your research. Thank you so much. And to maybe now thinking of concluding our talk, how can we incorporate the constant reflexivity in our academic practices, do you think? And what can we do to really, you know, be more sustainable in a decolonizing way of acting and thinking? 
I think I would just repeat what we've been saying, this constant, uh, we call it also the Southern attitude or an attitude to revise. And re I really, uh, it was so important, Marcela, that you brought uh, respect into the conversation. So important. And what does respect mean for each person will be negotiated through honest conversations and engagements. It's rarely the case that a, a, a form will be, you know, a paper form. We have these ethics forms and consent forms, right, for for social research. That's not always the best way, let's say so, uh, to, to negotiate and understand how we can expand what we understand as science, as knowledge. And there is so much out there, really. There's so much material out there, podcasts, books, articles, groups, uh, people working not only within the sciences, but you know, arts and sciences and so many more um, areas. I think there are certain colonial strategies uh, that have been developed in the last years that, that could be helpful um, to to think uh, constantly in the colonial perspective. One of them could be maybe to, f to when we design, when we develop or research design to include certain moments of feedback loops. So you have every time in, in almost every stage of your research, uh, you have to take into account the meaning or the ideas or the expectations of your research partners. And That takes time. And that's one of the topics we were talking before, that most of this expectation or ideas of decolonizing academia takes time. And we don't have this time a lot of uh, times. No, we have to conclude our dissertation in three or four or maximum five years. Uh, otherwise, you are not productive. You are not, you know, there are, there's a lot of questions about you if you don't finish very quick with your dissertation. But the coloniality takes time. Uh, so we have a kind of uh, contradiction here. No? We are trying to get more decolonial, but at the same time, the institutional mechanisms are not doing or offering uh, or opening the spaces for, for decolonial processes. So the feedback loops are important. The respectfully uh, uh, relationship with your research partners, the honest and transparent communication you have to be. That was, for example, very important for me when I explained my research partners what I wanted to do, that they say, hey, that's also important for us. We would like to deal with this topic, what you are proposing. Otherwise, when they would say, no, that's not important, I have to be open to change my subject and to adapt to the needs they are uh, seeking or are need needing. That's one point to be flexible in your design. You, when you apply for a, a scholarship, you have to have the question, the methodology, all the things design, and you have to apply that. But when you come with a fixed, uh, full, full uh, uh, you know, designed aspect, and you are not open to change that in the, in the field work, that's also, that could be, in a decolonial perspective, uh, very problematic. So So this openness, this flexibility, this transparency and the feedback loops and to be able to open your research and what you are doing and what Daniela said before, this unlearning process 
is part of this attitude we are talking about. Thank you very much. You really um, gave us a beautiful insight into your research approaches, into ways of thinking in a different way and acting in a different way as researchers, as young researchers, um, and that we have to tackle this problem, uh, the system in academia, and we will keep on doing the good work. And I'm sure you both are on the front runs. So keep up the good work. This was episode eight of Doctorate and the last episode of the semester. But don't be afraid, dear listener, we will be back in March with more interesting talks and discussions about the things we and you care about. This episode was produced by Ninja Buman, Angelina Illes and Nadine Riegler. Edited and everything technical by Martin Pokorny and Nadine Riegler. And today's host, I, Angelina Illes. Thank you very much. Doctorate is brought to you by the Doctoral School of Historical and Cultural Studies and the Vienna Doctoral School of Social Sciences. It is created and produced by the School Fellows. Thank you.